0: Welcome to The Well. I am Dylan Bowman, and this week we're talking to Jimmy Elam, an ultra runner from Salt Lake City, Utah. Jimmy popped on my radar a couple of years ago and has really been amassing a really solid resume for himself in his short time on the ultra running scene. And this summer, in a year that was obviously very strange with few opportunities to compete, Jimmy managed to win both the Tushers 100K and the Bear 100, which provided a perfect opportunity to invite him here on the show. And for those who are consistent listeners, you might remember a few episodes ago when I was talking to Jason Schlarb, That uh, Jason mentioned Jimmy's name, along with uh, a glowing assessment of both Jimmy's talent and his future potential. So it was great to have him on the show. And honestly, this was a really, really fun conversation. Jimmy strikes me as someone who fits perfectly in our sport. He's super friendly, he's super humble, but he's also really competitive and hardworking. And he's a man who emphasizes logic over emotion, which is a consistent theme in our dialogue and something that I see as a major strength of his athletically. So we talk about Jimmy's successful summer that I just mentioned. We do some background. We talk training, racing, injury. We talk life balance stuff and finish with some of Jimmy's future goals. It's one of our longest episodes ever. And I think it's really full of good content and, uh, and good energy. He's a super likable guy. And uh, it was great to have a chance to get to know him a little better. So please welcome Jimmy Elam. Okay, I'm joined here by Jimmy Elam. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? It's
1: going well, man. Um, yeah, I've uh, I gotta say I've listened to you know, quite a few of your podcasts, and it's it's uh, an honor to be here. And it's, it's kind of weird, you know, when you're like listening to it from the outside <laughs> in, and then the next day you're like, oh shit, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be actually one of those <laughs> people. So that's uh, no, rad, man. Yeah, thanks a lot.
0: Oh man, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, I'm obviously having a blast with the show and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great opportunity to get to know people like you a little bit better. And, you know, I think the thing that, that motivated this, um, more recently was your success that you had racing this summer. Of course, this year has been pretty strange and there haven't been many races going on, but you won both the Tushers 100K, uh, and I think July that was, and then more recently won the Bear 100, Um, and yeah, both in really sort of impressive style and amazing performances. And your buddy, uh, Finn Mellinson, um, sent me a DM on, on Instagram, encouraging me to reach out. And and I said, you know what, that's a great idea. Let's (laughs) had nothing to do with that. I I had
1: nothing to do with that.
0: (laughs) Totally (laughs) cool. No. I just wanted to give Finn a shout out cause he uh, he did uh, sort of motivate me to send you that message and I'm glad we could connect. Um, and yeah. you know, of, of anybody I've had on the show I probably know the least about you. So I'm, I'm really excited to oh. sort of go, go into a lot of different stuff. And of course I do want to go into some background and help people get context of your life and how you've sort of built up to the place that you're at now, but I think it'd it'd be most relevant to just kind of start with, uh, with right now and what's happened most recently. And you won the bear 100 a couple of weeks ago, as I said, it was your first hundred and one of the true sort of North American classic hundred mile races. One of the only races that happened this year in North America (laughs) as well. How are you feeling? How are you feeling a few weeks removed from your, your first hundred miler and, and what do you attribute your success to?
1: Yeah. Just over two weeks, uh, here sitting, sitting with you and, um, my body's feeling amazing. Absolutely. Fantastic. You know, I, I, uh, I finished up and then two days post race, uh, I was, I was sore. I was super sore feeling it. And like, yeah, I felt like I was out there for 18 and a half hours. <laughs> um, and then by the third day I was, I was like, man, I could probably run today, but I, I promised myself, you know, I was going to take at least you know like five days off completely. And just walk around and, um, and then from then on take it day to day. And, uh, it's, it's nice just having, having some rest because, you know, it was a full on, you know, I was looking back and it was a full on nine months, um, of, of training and, and nine months of, of really not knowing what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think uh, for a lot of us, you know, this year's been such a shit show overall. It's like, it's like, man, what am I, what am I doing this for? Like, what's the big picture here? And, and I don't know, I had faith that something would come around, you know, there's some FKTs were on my mind, but, um, I haven't quite found the, the really strong pool to go in after those yet as, as fun as they seem. I love following them, you know, like the Wonderland stuff, uh, was, it was fantastic. Yeah. That whole series. And just like, Seeing who's going to be the next person to go after those, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I obviously this year didn't turn out as I planned, but um, I'm really happy with how with how it did turn out, and I just tried not to lose faith in the process um, leading up to um, leading up to the heart of the year, um, and and uh, yeah, I'm really happy. I'm really really happy with how things turned out, and kind of just going for it. Um, unexpectedly was able to sneak in a couple, couple big races. And I think what happened was that, um, uh, it, it, allowed me to, to seek out a couple races that are so close to home, yeah. you know, that on a, on, on a normal year, maybe I wouldn't be as attracted because it's like, Oh, they'll always be there. They'll always be a couple hours from my door. And, um, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go to California and do this big race, or I'm going to go out and try yeah. and get the golden ticket or this or that. And, and it, it allowed me to really see some unbelievably wonderful stuff. Like, like at at Tushers, I mean, that, that terrain is out of this world. It's so amazing.
0: I've heard that's a really, really great and underrated race.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And our just took it over, I think a few years ago and um, they put on, you know, extremely, extremely safe, comfortable race. I'd do it 10 times over um, given the conditions of everything. And Um, you know, ended up being a a surprising fun battle there. I know your, your question earlier was about more about the bear than Tushers, but, um, but like it was, it was a blast, man. And, uh, Browning and Schlarb actually commented after like, this is like a mini hard rock. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's brutal. I mean, you're at like, you know, over 12,000 feet, multiple points through the race and, Mm -hmm. and you stay high. Um, it's a, it's a true mountain runners race for sure. And then the bears, the same, you know, the bear. Um, you're, you're at higher altitudes, um, you know, between like eight and nine average, I'd say, and, uh, pretty, you know, not technical, but, you know, rugged, big, long climbs. Um, so I'm feeling, I'm sitting here feeling good right now because I think, you know, my training that led up to it was, was perfect for those, those events.
0: How do you think about goal setting? How was that, um, on your mind here this year in what was an incredibly, strange season in trail and ultra running. You mentioned that you'd been training hard for nine months. How are you thinking about goals and, and how did you main remain focused on the process? As you said.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a big part is, um, I mean, one of my, feel like one of my strengths since, you know, the beginning of my running career is, is kind of being able to stay level-headed, you know, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily having, having really strong emotional responses to my training and my racing and, the whole process and lead up but having logical logical thoughts and and responses to it all and and my logic with with my training was something awesome will happen you know like it's I don't know what it's going to be yet I don't know if it's I'm just going to go out and do this like hometown you know uh marathon trail race or you know a hundred my first hundred mile I mean beginning of the year I I I didn't know that I was going to be running 100 at the end you know I had an idea of maybe going back and trying to uh do canyons 100k for golden ticket again but i um i, you know, I didn't know for sure what was going to happen but i think just the best you know or the the best way to put it would be um just kind of staying staying sane yeah. <laughs> this year
0: does that uh, um, apply towards this rest phase as well i mean you you say not reacting emotionally and instead being guided more by logic and of course Oftentimes as ultra runners, logic is a weakness for a lot of us. And even when we have spectacular performances like you did at the bear and at Tushers, the propensity might be more so to keep that momentum going, even though there isn't a lot of races. Uh, Maybe you feel like I'm still getting better. I need to get back into training. Does that logic carry over to this rest phase as well?
1: Yeah. You know, I I feel like, you know, a lot of people, you know, post race, I mean, it was even one of my best friends that, you know, the night that I finished, you know, he was like, cool, man. Like what's next? I'm like, no, man, I'm not going there. Like I'm going to (laughs) take, I'm going to take this in. I'm going to take this in so much and just um, really soak it up and enjoy everything that I did that led me um, led me to that moment of finishing my first hundred miler, which is, I think for anyone, no matter what, what your goal is, you know, like finishing your first hundred is a pretty special moment that um, you know, that I'll never have to wonder again, like what, what is it going to feel like? Um, it's pretty awesome. So I think, um, yeah, I think that played a big, a big part in helping me be okay with taking as much time as I want and I need. And, and I, you know, you've talked about this too. I think it was, it was maybe in the episode with, uh, with coop where, um, you know, you, you know, when you need your rest mm-hmm. and you might have some other big plan thought, you know, in the future that you're thinking about and you're like, Oh, I'm just going to chill. I'm going to go have some beers with my bros and, <laughs> like, yeah. and, and take it a, a notch back. And I mean, like, and how I said nine months straight of, of being on, you know, being fully turned on um, without, you know, exactly knowing what was going to happen. I'm, I was so ready for, you know, I was stoked to race, but I was also extremely ready to rest. Yeah. And, um, and I find, I find that I have a pretty good balance with enjoying my rest and my recovery, just as much as running itself. And I think part of that's, um, you know, having some other stuff to do in my life too, you know, spending time with my girlfriend, um, climbing or, um, you know, focusing, like, you know, really, really hitting, uh, my career, my work, my job hard right now, you know, Mm -hmm. it's starting to pick up as far as that goes. Um, I work in like outdoor sales. So it's like, it's selling season about time to hit, um, hit the accounts and, and do that stuff. So, um, it gives me an opportunity to, to really mix things up and, and refresh my, myself, you know, physically and, and psychologically too, where, um, you don't see that with everyone. And I think there's a lot of elite athletes that, um, don't know how to turn it off. And it, you know, it might not affect them right then and there, but as time goes on, you know, it will be, it'll probably be a, you know detriment to them having a more lengthy career.
0: It's so true, man. And uh, again, yeah, something that I think we have in common because really rest has been, I think one of the major contributors to my ability to compete over the course of more than a decade now, and mm-hmm. something that I actually really love and something that other athletes have complimented me about is my ability to, to actually just totally turn off, even though, you know, sometimes as Coop mentioned in our podcast together, it comes off as being lazy. Like for me, it really is my opportunity to, really recharge and forget about being an athlete and focus on this, these different parts of myself so that when I come back to the sport, I have that renewed enthusiasm and that desire to actually push myself to the extent I need to, in order to be competitive at the level that I want to be. And you mentioned that you have a career and I want to talk about that a little bit before we go back to talk a little bit more about the bear. Um, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And do you, see it? How do you see its impact, uh, on your career? Isn't it an enhancement? Does it help you balance things? Um, how do you view your career as it relates to your life as an athlete?
1: Oh man, that's an awesome, awesome question. And, uh, and, you know, it's, I feel like I, I'm, I'm specifically in the place I'm in right now, um, fully on my own choice. I knew that we having, you know, working in the outdoor industry would, allow me just, with, you know, past experience in different jobs would allow me to have a really great balance of, of work and play and running, you know, to, I mean, running's play, but it's also work. So it's like, it falls in the middle there, but um, it's uh, you know, it's, it's the type of job where, you know, I worked for backcountry.com here in Salt Lake City for um, over three years before my current job. And, and that really opened the door. It's like, wow, like my boss wants me to go outside and have fun and um, that's the kind of the moment that I knew that I could work, you know, ha- work in the outdoor industry for a very long time. And, um, I mean, I even recall going to San Francisco and, and meeting up with, uh, the North Face group, you know, I was, I was, a, I was a, a sales, um, a sales position with Backcountry, And I met you and we just like met up at, um, what was the name of that restaurant in Marin? It was, I like think it was the,
0: Yeah. Or the, I think it was the Dipsy cafe. Yeah. I I think that's where we met up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just across the street from the San Francisco running company. It
1: was so cool, man. We met up there and then went on like this trail run and then like stayed in like downtown and had some like sweet restaurant dinners. And I'm like, man, this is it. This is it. This is like, this is what work is. Are you serious? Yeah. But, um, so finding, finding a career that really allows me, um, you know, that's lower stress. That's like, you know, when I start getting stressed with my job, um, I wasn't specific about my job, but it's, you know, I'm a sales rep for outdoor brands such as Marmot, Ultra, uh, Running Shoes, Mystery Ranch, and a few others. Um, but um, yeah, man, it's just like, it just allows me to, to live with such a low stress life where when, I, when I'm when i starting to get maybe a little stressed with work, it, it puts things in perspective. because like, dude, this is, I'm selling Ultra Running Shoes. I'm not, you know, this is an open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, um, it's worked really well uh, in collaboration with what I, what my running goals are. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, I think it's a perfect place for me to be. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I I think it's an interesting thing to explore because, you know, I had Tom Evans on the show a couple of weeks ago and he's like very much just a professional athlete and he's super impressive in that way. And, you know, I've always kept a full-time job myself as an athlete and, I admire people like Tom so much who really leave no stone unturned, but like also at the same time, I've really enjoyed kind of having, having my job and I don't think it's been to the detriment of my racing career. And I wonder sort of like in the future of the sport, if it's going to be more guys like you and I, or, I, you know, what I think will yeah. probably happen is, is more people like Tom, which I don't think is a bad thing. And he does a good job of, of keeping that balance, you know, that you and I get from our jobs as well with, right. with other things that he does. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's just a, an interesting thing to explore. I don't know if you want to expand on it's- that a bit more.
1: Yeah. I'd love to actually, because, um, you know, just a little over two years ago, uh, when I think it was about two and a half years ago, but it was, it was the season where I did quad rock, which you're familiar with awesome race by Nick Clark. Um, and then broken arrow after that. And like that season, actually, I, you know, things changed with backcountry and they revamped and for not in a positive way for myself and my position, but Mm -hmm. enough to be like, I need to take a step back and, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a risk here and I'm going to, I'm going to leave and I'm going to dedicate the next six months specifically just to training and see what it's like. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't a professional athlete. I was coming, I was coming off of a six year hiatus from really any racing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, besides a few very like, um, un, you know, ill-prepared races, uh, before that, in the in the mountain world. But um I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little test run and see what what it's like to live in, in Tim Tim Tolson's shoes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or, well I mean actually you know, Tim Tolfson he still works. So don't yeah. get me wrong, he still works, but I forget, you know, it's like you know the Tom Evans of the world where um it's like dude you know no no rock left unturned and mm-hmm. I'm gonna try it out and test it. And and it was great. And I also took it too far. You know, mm-hmm. I was like I have all this time on my hands. That I could put towards training, and I had a couple of good races, and then I blew up. I was like, my my appetite, um, uh, my appetite was bigger than my stomach, you know. Yeah. And and I actually, you won't see this on ultra sign up, you know, like a lot of races when you go internationally. But I I went and attempted my first race, uh, uh, actually on the the U.S. Skyrunning team um, mm. in Scot- in Scotland, right? And and I did the Ben Nevis Ultra, which unfortunately was completely changed around the course was changed you know they were, you know on the bk they had to like helicopter people off the mountain because the weather turned so harshly but didn't end up being the day that i wanted and and it was because really looking back and analyzing my training it was like dude i took it way too far yeah. i did way too i had too much time on my hands and 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 this you know this year and then last year you know comparing it to that year where i was quote unquote, the, you know, the ideal like professional athlete that mm-hmm. was, was, wasn't sponsored, but living that type of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say like, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd want that again. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I want that again. And, and another thing with, with running and being a sponsored runner and, and dedicating your entire livelihood to that, it, it is fickle, you know, it's mm-hmm. um, in the big picture. It's a bit short lived, but you know, if you're confident, like, Oh, I could jump right back into a career after, two or three years of, of doing this, you know, the side gig and seeing what I could do with running, I like go for it. I think yeah. it, it was a, it was a blast. It was fun, but I don't, I wouldn't say that it, it made me a better, a better athlete.
0: Yeah. The trick is the trick is just finding a job like you and I have to where you, you <laughs> can balance the two things. I think that's the the more difficult thing to achieve and uh, right. something that is both mentally and professionally stimulating that gives you the freedom to also pursue these athletic interests. So I wanna go back to the bear and you know, you won by almost two hours. You probably had a huge lead uh, throughout the day. It seems like you still were able to keep yourself psychologically, emotionally engaged throughout the event how did you, how did that race play out for you and and how did you manage to keep pushing? Even though I'm sure you were getting reports that you were well ahead of the competition in your debut hundred mile race.
1: Yeah, man. So, I mean, going into it, I, I wasn't sure if there was going to be any like really, really stiff competition. You know, there's a couple, I mean, anything can happen with that longer race, right? You know, you've, you've, done it to where it's like, okay, like never let your guard down. But um that my, that wasn't my motive going in and my my thoughts weren't like I'm gonna go out and I just wanna win this race. Um it was more along the lines of chasing down some of the faster times on the course. And you know the I set some pretty lofty goals for myself, you know, trying to go after, you know, you know, be on like course record pace and then see what happens type mm-hmm. of thing. Like being a, being risky where, um, I don't know if it would have been like a prescribed tactic from a coach necessarily, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I had these lofty goals for the race chasing down closer to, you know, like, uh, in the 17s, um, but you know, high 17s, but, um, I also, I was also really, really smart about how I went about the race mm-hmm. and, and, um, the first 10 miles, which it's one of the, the first 10 miles, is actually one of the hardest parts of the entire course. Like mm-hmm. it's 5,000 feet of climbing straight off the bat in the first 10 miles. And, uh, and it's not like a rolly five, it's straight, it's straight yeah, up like yeah. 4,000, a little bit of a drop then another climb. Um, but I, I told myself that, I knew there would be at least one other person that would, that wouldn't be far off my effort if I was going out and just trying to lead it from the gun. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's, as you know, probably it takes a lot more energy to lead an entire day, especially for that long. And and I was like, I'm going to just hang on to whoever wants to take it. You know, I'm going to really, really chill out. And, and I hung behind the leader um, for pretty much the first 10 miles and then slowly started uh to pull away but um i i took a really conservative and and it made me think like you know um how much goes into uh like psychological tactics that first half of a hundred miler and i mean it's pretty you know easy to say that you know the longer you're out there for the more um, the more mind games you have to like play with yourself and like, um, the more psychological strength you have to have, but it really helped me realize how, I mean, especially you can't put a a number on it or a mile on it, but that first half of that hundred miles, I mean, it should be all, all in your head, all psychological. Like it's really just conserving and holding yourself back and, you better feel pretty awesome. (laughs) you know, like most of that first half of the race and, um, a big goal of mine too, was, was just being, you know, being hyper aware of how my body was feeling. How are my legs feeling? There's a ton of climbing. So making sure that I never dipped into that, uh, that realm of where you start feeling that lactate buildup in your legs. I'm like, I, I don't even want to touch that until, maybe like the last like 30 miles or 20 yeah. miles. Yeah. And, and if anything, you know, what, um, what really helped me be conservative that first half was, um, just, you know, my overall experience of, you know, I've done three really hard hundred K's and kind of just knowing my body, how my body felt in those. And then I, that that's a completely different race than a hundred miles. And I mm-hmm. shouldn't be feeling the way that I felt doing, you know, the climbs at Tushers, you know, like the legs fatiguing, the heavy breathing, you know, I shouldn't be feeling that at all the first half. Um, and kind of just going from there. Um, but it was, yeah, dude, it was an absolute eye-opening experience. And and one thing that really kind of kept me going was um was having some friends out there to help, like okay. the second half. So I had Finn my buddy hop in, uh, at mile 50 for 25 miles. And then I had my other buddy, Mike McMonigal. Um, he, he helped uh, reel me in at the end and, and, uh, it was funny. I was actually talking to Tim Tolson. He's, you know, he's a close friend of mine. We went to both went to Chico together, yeah, but yeah. he was like, he, uh, he was like, Oh man, that's so, uh, like, that's so American of you. And I'm like, dude, yeah. I, for, you know, my first yeah. hundred, like I'll probably be alone most of the time. I was like, dude, that's, it's going to be so boring, man. I just yeah. want to have a couple buddies out. Like, I just want to hang out with some buds the second yeah. half, like chilling. So, um, having, having them, you know, it's, it's a fine line because, you know, when, um, I've also heard where it's like, you know, you have someone pacing you the, the last 25 miles of a race. It's going to, it's going to make you softer.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, you're going to have this like comforting friendly experience where it's going to make you chill out and not want to push hard, but Um, maybe that's true, but I'm happy I had them there. It was, it was a great way to, to share that type of experience with a close buddy. Yeah. yeah.
0: It is a special thing having had pacers myself and having been a pacer a number of times. And I know Tim has been a pacer himself, but now that I've done a bunch of hundreds and done it in both styles, both with a pacer and with, without, I'm a little skeptical as to how much performance enhancement they provide. And, and, you know, I, I've often think you know, I haven't run a hundred miler in the U S for a long time, but I often think like, well, maybe if I did Western States again, I think I would probably go solo just cause I kind of feel that I operate better, run better. Uh, when I, have you know i'm totally solo and operating completely in my own universe rather than you know worrying that i'm slowing somebody down or that we're going too fast or that i need to entertain them with conversation, talking,
1: talking too much. Yeah. No, I mean, I only have, I only have one race to go off of, but I'll yeah. be honest, I'm excited to, to be out there alone. The totally. Time. I mean, it's like, a great thing. Future. Excited for that too.
0: They're both great experiences. And so, you know, just like everything else in life, we have to resist temptation to be uh, extreme on either end of the spectrum, which is tough right. to do these days. Right. Um, well, that's awesome, man. I mean, congratulations on that effort. And I think nice. we can all, um, identify with the fact that kind of the blessing and the curse of ultra running is that it's so rare to kind of have the the perfect day. And obviously you won the race, which is definitely a positive. Uh, I'm sure you didn't feel like you nailed everything. What did you feel like you learned from your hundred mile debut? And and what do you feel like you could improve if you were to run the race again tomorrow?
1: Oh man. Yeah. Well, I think, I'd love to start with my biggest mistake. And um, just when I thought I was perfectly prepared, I was like, oh man, I like my stomach's always been good. Like I'll be, you know, I got my training. I've done all the work. Uh, The process has been, you know, ideal. I tapered well, Um, no aches, no pains, no injuries for not, you know, over nine months. And, and uh, lo and behold, the the big kicker at the end was just, uh, oh yeah, after running in the dark for like five hours right. plus and, um, running in the dark, man, it's harder than, than I thought and putting on that headlamp and knowing it wasn't going to come off and you're in this, this, uh, just tunnel vision really. And, um, and realizing, oh, shit, I only did one run in the dark before this. So mm-hmm. I totally dropped the ball there. And and I don't, you know, it's hard to say how much it affected me. But um, I felt like I was, uh, you know, being in the, in the tired and depleted state you're in and then not having any night runs done. You know, I think um, that can really affect you. And I, my whole, like, equilibrium kind of felt off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was well hydrated, well fueled. And I felt like I had the energy, but it was more of just straight visual experience that um, that I was like, I don't like this man. But I didn't like it because I wasn't comfortable with it, and I didn't have the training, you know, the proper training put in running at night um, yeah. with See, a headlight in the dark on um,
0: technical. I love that stuff, man. Really? The, the the no pacer, you know, with headlamp being totally yeah. solo in the middle of the night during a race is like my, my favorite thing about the sport. Sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt.
1: I, no worries. No, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. I, I hope I'm not making it seem like I hated it, but it was like, I'm not prepared because, right. okay. de- you know, descending. So the last like five miles, you're descending like 25 maybe 3000 feet and instill technical terrain after everything you've already done. So that coupled with the whole, you know, not spending enough time running at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was uh, one of the biggest things that I would change if I was to go back and do the race tomorrow is I, I would have every week I would do, you know, a night run and maybe even some night workouts to climbing, mm-hmm. um, descending. But, um, that was, wow. that was a big part of it. That's
0: yeah. actually super interesting. And something I don't think I've ever, entertained is is the night workout pushing both uphill and downhill because that is really an important race simulation for the guys at the front of the field because yeah yeah, oftentimes when especially racing in Europe when you start close to sunset and you're Mm -hmm. still like pushing pretty fast early in the race and often you know, on fairly technical yeah. descents in the dark, very few people actually simulate that in training. That's that's mm-hmm. super interesting. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something I do next time for sure. Cool. I mean, it's like in training, one of my one of my biggest um, biggest things I go after is like making sure I, I present myself with the same. You know, how am I going to feel in the race? Okay, I need to be filling that times this much in the workout or in the training. Sweet.
0: Well, I want to go into your training a little bit more, a little later in, in the podcast, but before we sort of move on from this good summer that you've had, as we talked about, you had an awesome race at Tushers and, followed it up with the bear and I had Jason Schlarb on the show a couple of weeks ago and he was super complimentary about you and was his, awesome. his uh, view of your future potential in the sport. And I just, one of the things I'm really curious about is, athlete elite athletes sort of like self-confidence level and like whether they have kind of a natural belief in their own abilities, or if it's something that they, they need to work on with your recent successes, how are you visualizing your place in the sport and your goals for the future and how you believe in yourself?
1: Yeah. Oh man, that's some deep shit. Dude. <laughs> no, I like, uh, so I, I wasn't always like this. I've, I've been, you know, i I've, I've said that I'm in my 30th year of racing. So, I mean, there are some years in the middle there that I didn't race, you know, there was about five or six years that I went on a, on a bit of a hiatus and was kind of um, on try, trying to like discover what I wanted <laughs> for myself the rest of my life. But um, I didn't always have the confidence that I have now. And it started when I was in college and I transferred from, Humboldt State to Chico State, and um, and I I transferred, you know, not even knowing if I'd make the team on Chico, like not having a ton of confidence outside of just knowing that I would be a better runner if I mm. if I went to Chico, and um, I knew some people there and, and what the program was like. And I was like, this is really where I should be, and I was standing on the starting line of this really big invitational in uh, Willamette and. I was like, man, I've put in so much work and I'm feeling so good. And I, and from that moment on almost every race since then, you know, it's not, it's not that like race anxiety anymore. It's more of a giddiness, you know, and that, and that day and that moment, it was like, I was giddy on the line, like excited, not anxious, not like, um, not scared, not fearful anymore, but it was more of a, I've, I put in so much work. I can't wait to you know, I can't wait to like get in the pain cave and I can't wait to just hammer with these guys. And, um, it completely, like the tides turned And, and I think part of that's having faith in faith in the work that you've done. And, you know, I've said process a few times, but faith in the whole process. And, mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big part of, of this year. And it's, I think it's something that's going to stick where, um, you know, standing on the line, knowing that I've worked, I've told this to a few close friends recently and it's like standing on the line, knowing that I've worked as hard or harder than anyone else out here. And it's mm-hmm. going to be, and it's going to be a really fun day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so it comes yeah. down
0: to talent and execution at that point. And when you, when you uh, take that hard work, piece off the table and you actually have that feeling of, I can't wait for the pain that's in front of me. That's when the, the real mm-hmm. magic happens. And then it's just up to you to sort of put the pieces together. That's really sure. cool. Yeah. So let's uh, let's rewind a bit and talk a little bit more about your background. And I do want to get into Chico State, but let's go a little bit, a little further than that. Um, tell me a bit about your childhood. Where'd you grow up and how did uh, sport play into your formative years, you know, acknowledging that you're now in your 30th year of racing.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I'm only 33, but uh, you know, so whatever age you are, you know, you're in the next year is what <laughs> I like to say. People, you know, it's like they you know, their 40th birthday. You're like, Oh, you're in your 40 or 41st year. But um, my first race is actually when I was four, I was four years old and I ran with my mom, um, a one mile almond blossom race. Um, and, uh, you know, I still have memories of doing that race every year from, you know, four to probably 12 years old. And, and I wasn't training, of course, you know, it was just like out there, you know, one foot in front of the other, but, um, both of my parents were runners and, uh, and it's, you know, it's definitely, it definitely goes way back for me. And, um, and I started seriously training when I was about nine. So hopping on some club teams. Um, in the, you know, I grew up in the Central Valley of California, so you know, just south Sacramento, um, and there's you know, plenty of different little like you know, low key club teams you can hop on, and um, actually started um, taking it relatively seriously for a young kid uh, very early. You know, I was um, nine, ten when I started traveling uh, across the U.S. for like Junior Olympic type um, type events, and. Looking back, I mean, it was, um, I talked about this a little bit with Eric strands before, and and it was like a lot of pressure for a little kid mm-hmm. looking back. And I think it was, I don't think it's something I would do with my kid. And I've, I've had some deep conversation. Like I don't, I don't tell my parents that they made any mistakes necessarily because <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with where I am now, but yeah. it was like, uh, it was, it was really intense. I think for my personality at that, at that age. And it was, a bit of a sensory overload. Um, mm. and, and it wasn't so much for myself when I was young, you know, and I think that's actually what led to that anxiety, um, for so many years racing was, um, it wasn't about me. It was about, I want to, I want to race for my parents. You yeah. Know? I want to wow. like I, the look, the look on my parents' faces after I do really well at this race, like if I fail this race, I fail my parents type of thing. And I mean, I shouldn't have been thinking about this as like a nine or 10 year old, but uh, that's what was on my, that's what was on my mind. And, um, the pressure was, yeah. I mean, I, I have this vivid memory of standing on the starting line with 50 other, little shits my age and, uh, and my mom, like giving me this shoulder massage, trying to relax me a little bit. Cause yeah. I would always be like, I hold my tension up in my shoulders. And my so neck. do I
0: bro. Oh my yeah, God. My, is my so neck bad. is a mess. Yes. So
1: bad. Yeah. And, uh, I'm just like, and, <laughs> and then also I, I remember, you know, I have this vivid memory growing up in my bedroom and, um, I showed this to my parents later on down the line and it was probably just like a poster I picked out as a kid, but it literally says, uh, you know, it has the, it's like the cheesy Walmart poster you get, and it has the photo of the runner on the beach. And it says, nobody remembers who finishes second. Oh my and I was God. like, and I was like, a, dude, I was like a you know, a 10, 10 or 11 year old kid. And, um, um, I'm just like, dude. That should. I told my mom. I'm like, that yeah. should never have been my picture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the pressure as a young kid. I mean, it's like having having all those years of, of an aerobic base has mm-hmm. definitely helped who I am now. But um, but I think there's a lot of things that I would, you know, I I would switch up a little bit if yeah. you know, I if I had if I had a kid and um, to help with help it be a little bit more fun than competitive, but I was a a very competitive
0: kid. Yeah. It's a really interesting topic of conversation as well, because, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life also didn't feel the same. I think pressure to perform that maybe you did, but definitely felt that sort of external validation from my parents and from my peers based on sport and stuff, you know, that's like yeah. Where my, my parents came out to cheer for me. Mm-hmm. That's where I've made most of my friends. You know, that's where you sort of like get popularity when you're younger. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you don't have the healthy motivations to sort of balance out these sort of like external validation mm-hmm. benefits that you get from it, it's really easy to get a little over invested in your persona as an athlete right. or in, in the, the actual stakes that you perceive are attached to your performance. Which, when you're we're nine or ten years old, should be <laughs> rather small. So, yeah, did you but, uh, um, yeah. did you have uh, like? I mean, it sounds like you were, you were competitive. Did you have sort of ambitions of pursuing running really seriously as you got older or like, were there any, uh, periods in time where you had resentment or you grew to hate running over the course of your lifetime as an athlete?
1: Oh man. Well, at, at that age, when I was really young, I, I didn't have these huge lofty, like, Oh, I want to be an Olympian someday. That never really hit me, but you know, I knew that I was, I wanted to run in high school and I was made just slightly above average high school runner, you know, like a high four thirties miler and Mm -hmm. nine high nine forties, two miler, nothing, nothing that could get me into like a D one school or anything like that on, Mm -hmm. on scholarship. Um, But, you know, even, even like in college, um, you know, college, I was, um, I was really thinking like, like maybe I could, maybe I could go and try to try to make the Olympic trials, you know, post-collegiately. And that was a a future goal of mine in that moment. But, um, as far as like going through a phase of, of resentment, um, there is a very, very long chunk of time where I, I lost my love for competition and it was, um, it was after I left, uh, chico to you know, i graduated chico and and moved directly moved to mammoth lakes because my my friend and former teammate scott bows was there and he's like oh yeah come like i'll rent i'll rent you my room for 200 bucks and i'm like of course like i don't want to start real life yet like i don't wanna, i don't want to start a career like i'm gonna go and and uh, you know i wasn't on the mammoth track club team by any means but i would you know i uh, befriended you know some of the other guys and and the casters and i was like you're, you're such amazing people and you're allowing me to come and do runs with you like that's awesome and then one thing led to another and I was training for Olympic trials and um and I did uh this was year 2010 a Chicago Marathon you know I did my my debut marathon and you know I had no no plan to do trails or ultras or anything like that I would have scoffed at you if you were like oh yeah you're gonna be ultra runner one day like no way in hell but um anyway I, I did my first marathon and and they changed the standard that year from 2.22 to 2.19. And I think they've changed it again since then. Maybe it's what, 2.17 now or something like that. Yeah, but
0: 2.18 maybe.
1: Um, 2.18, but um, I missed it by two minutes. And I was like, oh, dude, I did 2.21, something. I could, I could easily come back and, and do better. And, um, and then I got this wild injury, um, this mm-hmm. wild, wild injury that created probably six years of resentment towards first running and like, really like not being, not being okay with, with myself and just like questioning, you know, questioning everything. And I mean, running has always and will always be a strong part of my identity. And, you know, I like to say now, like, okay, if I, if I lose running to, you know, tomorrow I'll, I'll think of something else and I'll put my energy towards that. Um, but I've, you know, I've invested so much time that it's just such a strong part of me. And, and as long as I have it, it's going to be one of the most important things in my life, but um, I lost it. I lost competing from, from this injury while I was living in Mammoth and it really happened overnight. And um, the simplest way to put it is um, in just one of my legs. uh, it, It was as if, you know, you're sprinting at the end of a race and your entire body, you know, not even just your legs, your entire body is filled with lactate and it's that flush feeling where you're like, I have 30 seconds until I collapse, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that started happening with just one of my legs and, you know, it's not a pain, it's not a numbness, it's this ultimate fatigue and it would happen out of the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, it wouldn't happen if I was just jogging, but if I was doing a workout or anything remotely close to redlining, the leg would shut down and it would start my quad. And then if I, if I was, um, I was not wanting to like, listen to my body and just keep trying to run through it and be stubborn. It would shut the entire leg down. And, um, and I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I started with seeing a doctor, uh, after just kind of being in denial for a little while. Um, and, I saw this uh, head vascular surgeon mammoth and you know, it was, it was what Andrew Castor, you know recommended. I, I do the first thing I do. Cause he was like, it sounds like a blood issue. Like you're not getting a sufficient blood into your leg and the blood flow, maybe arterial, but uh, I saw this, this vascular surgeon and he did tests before and after running. So i would be just on the table at rest. He would do an ultrasound and then I would run on a treadmill, get to the point of fatigue of the leg shutting down because I could do it on command. If I, jacked up the treadmill and just, and ran as hard as I could Redlined for as long as I could, it would click within, it would hit within like two minutes. Um, he diagnosed it as a narrowing of my femoral artery. Mm -hmm. So it's something that professional cyclists will get. And, and they think it's because when they're in the hunched over position, it pinches a part of their artery, creating a weak spot and in turn not, you know, when the muscles compress, um, kind of pinching the artery. Yeah, restricts the, blood
0: flow. Yeah, yeah. The
1: femoral. And he's like, I think that's what it is. And um, freaking wild story, dude. He, uh, he was gonna operate and I actually agreed to it. You know, I was like 22, 23 years old. And what mm-hmm. they were gonna do is cut out a piece of the femoral and replace it with a Gore-Tex stint um, to reinforce it. And I, I mean, at this time, you know, like early twenties, I'm like, dude, I'll heal so fast. Like yeah. are you kidding?
0: Like, yeah. looking,
1: looking back, I'm like, Oh, I'm so happy. That's, I did it because wow. it's two weeks before he was going to operate on me, he got arrested and he was being tracked him and another guy in mammoth lakes were being tracked, uh, for over a year and they were found to be, um, having relations with this very young girl, uh, in Southern California. And at the moment they didn't prove that he, he did anything with this girl. Um, but, but that he helped his friend. And Mm -hmm. then, and then I remember this newspaper article coming out in town, you know, I'm, I'm just like, what the hell's going on, man? I, I just visualize him like riding his bikes through town with his daughters and his wife and just like the coolest family ever there's like this can't be real this has to be something going yeah. on here anyway this, this newspaper article comes out and and this was literally just like days maybe weeks before I was going to get my surgery um they said they they found new uh information about the the Born case oh my God. and and next thing you know he's he offed himself in a hot spring oh. just a few miles outside of town yeah yeah, dude. He, uh, he ended wow. it out in the hot spring. So I took like a huge step back. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously this isn't even about me, man. I'm just like, I, I'm just grateful. I like still, still here right now. Cause he was actually, he was actually screwing up on some surgeries leading up to that point. Oh my so I mean, God. I think he kind of knew something was going on. Um, yeah, w- yeah, it was. Dude, it what was a crazy wild.
0: story! It was wild. It. The reason I I asked is because you know I just visualize you as you know a nine year old kid who who may feel uh inordinate amount of pressure to perform, and sort of like now being still in running and still motivated to perform, albeit in trail and ultra running. And myself having not been a runner until my early twenties, but always been an athlete. And I sort of have always thought that like mm-hmm. my, my late entry to the sport was actually kind of an advantage to me <laughs> at the time. And so I was, I was just wondering like, if you'd ever lost the like love of relationship for the sport oh. rather than like this running, being taken away from you with injury yeah. and something that was seemingly sort of mysterious. Um, but yeah, that, that's a, that's an absolutely wild story. And so, so, um, you know, I, I guess I do want to kind of go a little bit further, further down this rabbit hole, but I I would feel remiss if I don't kind of step back a couple of years and touch on your Chico state career as well because I think it's kind of an interesting part of your story. And of course we've mentioned Tim Tolfson a couple of times who yeah. still lives in Mammoth. Of course he graduated from Chico and ran there as well. I think you're a couple of years, years younger. Um, I think you were an all American. I mean, what was your college career like? And, you know, did, did Tim play some uh, part in your future interest in, in Trail and Ultra?
1: Yeah, so, um... I guess I'll go back to just right before Chico. You know, I, I mentioned that I was at Humboldt state and I went on some recruiting trips and and, I had my options, you know, Chico was there too. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I I had the visit to Humboldt and if you've ever spent any time in Northern California running through the Redwoods, um, it's one of the most magical things in the world. Just like pretty much what hit me was like, if I could spend the next five years here training, I'll be in love with this, you know, but the truth was that the team wasn't quite as dedicated as, you know, you can probably get from my personality now. I'm pretty like dedicated runner, like disciplined, disciplined runner. Mm. And they didn't quite have that. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't butt heads with the coach, but I was like, I need different type of guidance to really fulfill my, my college goals. And that was really to be all American. And
0: I think everybody's pretty laid back in Humboldt County, <laughs> Right. you know like, what I mean. I was,
1: <laughs> what was I thinking, right? You know, I was, so, I, was, I was a naive, you know, high school kid, but uh, I was like, dang, what's going on here? They don't care about running at all. <laughs> um, but uh, it was an amazing experience. I'm so happy I went, but I was like, if, uh, if I, if I transferred to Chico, I don't know what could happen, but that, that excites me you know, so Chico state has such a, you know, a long reputation for 20 different guys fighting for the traveling squad at any given time. And I was hopping in, you know, having raced some of them before and, and being friends and, you know, um, talking to Tim about what the, you know, what really the program was like. And, and uh yeah, so I dude, I made the move. I transferred and and I remember Gary Town sending an email to my Humboldt coach, like, I had nothing to do with this, I swear to God. But uh, you know, I ditched I ditched my scholarship from Humboldt for nothing at, at Chico besides just wanting to run with with some of the best guys and being coached by Gary Town and mm-hmm. um and and hopes of being an all-American and um Gary town is, he's like, you know, he's the type of coach where, uh, he's like that true father figure where, you know, I remember race, you know, after a few months of, 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 you know, under his training and and racing form, I was just like, I feel like I want to race well, not, not entirely just to for myself to race well and for the performance goals, but I want to make this guy proud, you know, like I want to make this guy really proud of, of everything that he's done for, for his athletes. And, um, and I think having, being hundred percent sold into his program and, um, and having such close friendships and bonds with the, you know, the rest of the team, you know, we'd, I'd help organize this camp in Truckee every summer I was there. We'd you know, have like five or six guys and we'd spend three months living and training, you know, breathing, running. Um, in, uh, in Tahoe Donner and just step out the door and be like, boom, training in the mountains, training in conditions harder than what our races were going to be like, harder than when we were going to come back to town. But um, yeah, that all kind of like culminated into me having, um, you know, one of the best years of my life um, being all American uh, cross country. And then um, I think I was 15th and then, and then track I was fourth. And I like to say Um the first true American track, but I mean most of the other guys didn't speak English, but I was like, dude, you guys are badass, man. Like I wasn't bummed at all. But uh, but I just like to joke, it was like the first, like, you know, true American guy. But um um yeah, like landed my college goals. And I think that was a big part of the transition to where I was like, okay, I I think I'm gonna continue continue this a little farther. And and like I mentioned, Scott Bowes already being in Mammoth running for the Mammoth Track Mm -hmm. Club and um I don't know if a lot, many ultra runners or trail runners will be familiar with him, but he's one of the greatest, uh, you know, um, collegiate runners of all time, all divisions, Uh, but, uh, he's, yeah, but he was sponsored by Adidas for a few years when he was to Mammoth. And it was really him that brought me to Mammoth. And, um, and as far as taking that farther down the line post being, you know, the, the, uh, injury and resentment <laughs> from, uh, from all that, uh, that stage, um, Tim did play a big role. You know, I know you asked earlier about yeah. you know, what role Tim played. He played, um, a huge role. Cause I was like, what is, what's all this about? You know, I was still right. I, saw I, didn't, I didn't, I knew nothing about, you know, the ultra, ultra running trail scene. and. Yeah.
0: Were there any pieces of advice or things that you observed about, Tim and his training philosophy or lifestyle that made a mark on you and made you interested in pursuing it?
1: Yeah. I mean, as far as pursuing the sport, I mean, it was really like spending time with him on the trails and, and that spoke for itself. (laughs) It was like the most vivid thing, but, and then really seeing, seeing his experience at UTMB too. You know, that was, that was before I was committed to any type of trail to running. And I, you know, at that time, I think I might've just moved to Salt Lake city. Um, might've been just right before that, but seeing like that energy of what European racing was, um, was, you know, just from the videos, it's like, that's unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, but you know, as far as like direct advice from Tim, that. I always think about is, you know, I think I brought this up before, but the whole, um, played a big part of, of my training this year is like, I'd rather be, you know, um, 10% under trained than 1% over trained type yeah. of quote. I'm, I'm sure yeah. you heard that from someone else too, but that's something that's kind of stuck in my head and, and really helped me like be okay with like being nicer to myself this year. Yeah. And so I think about, you know, a few of those, um, few of those things. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. Tim's always, I think, been good at turning it off. Also, you know, he trains, Super hard, but it doesn't seem like he's ever, you know, succumbing to the temptation to do 150, 160 mile weeks. He's obviously well coached by Mario Fraoli and has a long term mindset as well. That's cool that uh, Mm -hmm. you were able to, you know, not only kind of have that connection with him in college, but to be able to sort of learn from him and get inspired by him in his career. That's, that's been awesome. So, you know, it's kind of like bouncing back to where we had left off with this crazy wild story and you sort of (laughs) losing faith in, in your ability to compete anymore. You said it was about a, a six year stint. How how did that feel going through it? Did you feel like your sort of uh, competitive running days were behind you? And at which point did you start to feel like there might be light at the end of the tunnel? And are you feeling feeling better now? I mean, does this still impact you?
1: Yes, yeah, that's, that's a great question. I um, so at where I left off with the uh, that vascular surgeon um, and kind of taking a step back and, and running just for a few months, trying to reevaluate. Like, whoa, this is wild. Like I could have just been cut open and. And the femorals, no, it's, it's nothing to mess with, man. You know, the large artery in your body, like something goes wrong, you're going to die. Um, so I was like freaked out more than anything, but I wouldn't got a second opinion. And, and this was at renowned medical center in Reno, Nevada, and a really, really great place that I, I trusted. And and they they did the same work. And they're like, we don't see what he saw. And wow. we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to operate on you. So, um, that's really, that was the deciding moment, you know, after I was, you know, I didn't have good health insurance, you know, it took me eight years to pay off just those visits. And, um, and I was like, I, I'm just going (laughs) to chill. I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep getting into like crazy debt over this and just, just run for fun, not compete. Mm -hmm. I've never had a break like this since, you know, I was what, nine years old or 10 years old. And I think it might've been potentially my body saying, Hey dude, you gotta, you gotta chill out. You gotta relax. And, um, and I took, yeah, it was a solid, I want to say five years. And then, um, I, I didn't, you know, there's all, maybe a little bit in me that was, was thinking like I could race again, but I was like, as long as I have this feeling and, I, and if I can't get it figured out, like there's just, I don't know if, I don't know when I'll be able to race, with just not caring about the outcome.
0: Was know? it somewhat devastating? I mean, you strike me as somebody who's very balanced and, and easygoing, but I'd imagine when you're somebody who's been competing as a runner since you were a little kid, having that taken away in sort of a mysterious way would, would be somewhat sad. Was yeah. it that way?
1: Yeah. I mean, from the outside to just normal people, they'd probably be like, Oh yeah, Jimmy's, Jimmy's just fine. Like he's, he's totally cool. Just like kind of how we normally know him. But inside, I think I was really struggling. You know, I, I didn't really know, you know, outside of running itself, I didn't really know my place in life. You know, I, I jumped around, you know, I moved from mammoth to bend. I worked, um, you know, I have a psychology degree. So I worked for a wilderness therapy program for a while. I guided people on the John Muir trail uh, Mount Whitney. And it was amazing. And I, I think those things, having fun outdoor type jobs kind of kept me in line, kept me level-headed and, um, um, helped me be okay with everything, but it, it's still unresolved, you know, even to this day, I mean, it was pretty bad then, but like now that I'm racing again, you know, it's, it's a little bit better, but it was, um, it was something that never left. It was still deep inside me. Um, having that, bit, that bit of resentment towards like, why, like why did my body decide to turn on me overnight for no apparent reason that I can't figure out. So that's, that's always been hard. And, um, and how I actually got into ultra running was uh, because of this injury. Mm -hmm. And, and it really started with my friend who he runs the mammoth mountaineering shop uh, in Mammoth lakes. And he took me on this 35 mile ridge traverse called the white mountain traverse just mm-hmm. outside of mammoth and it's this super high altitude oh. rugged rugged traverse Have you heard of it, tim, heard of it? Tried,
0: tim tried to talk me into doing it with him this summer oh, he dear. was like yeah my, my friends and i are going to do this this big thing on like <laughs> yeah. wednesday and uh, he gave me the name of the white mountain traverse and i, and I yeah. googled it and it was like you know, at least a 12 hour undertaking. Or yeah. I was like, this is a it's, Wednesday run. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a big day. I mean, you're between tw- 12 and 14,000 feet the entire time. Yeah. The, where you, where you start. I mean, there's like four wheel drive roads to get to the start and the finish. Um, the beginning of the run, you pass through this ancient bristlecone pine forest. Yeah. With some of the, like, some I've of the I've actually been up there. Yeah, yeah, I've been up there. Yeah, dude, yeah. The oldest living trees on earth. Um, and then you pass through these like ancient, like, um, uh, Native American hunting blinds up mm-hmm. at the top and, and there's a uh, napped obsidian where, you know, that it, it's not naturally occurring there. It was brought over to trade. It's wow. really cool. Lots of history on the route. And anyway, it was that moment where I was like, my friend was like, just so you know, this is what ultra running's like. And I was like, Oh my God, man, <laughs> Like I am, I'm so doing this. So that was in my head and, you know, that was always in my head since that moment on. And, um, and I found out that because ultra running, is all about like conserving energy, you know, you're not really redlining that much. I mean, maybe like a, a, maybe like a 50, you know, 50 K, you know, flatter, flatter races, but the big, like long five hour plus races, you should never be like full on, redlining until mm-hmm. the end. And, and that's really what triggered my leg to shut down and still triggers my leg to shut down is, um, is that all out effort, but a race like the bear when I'm averaging 11 something per mile. And, you know, I'm just really like, you know, it's all about kind of holding back a little bit. Um, it, it delays that onset of fatigue as well as being able to like warm it up really well. Um, but it was, it was that moment. that kind of, you know, like I, I found out like if my leg can hold off on on this, like, what else can it do? So I've really just learned to be okay with it and accept wow. it as like part of, part of my body. I mean, it, at that myself. point, it's,
0: it's almost like a blessing, right? Because it, it showed you, Hey, I, I actually can handle this type of a stimulus. And this is an avenue where you can still pursue running and you can yeah. still pursue competition. And even though it's sort of like maybe ended your Olympic trials marathon dream six years before it showed you that you still had this, this way to kind of pursue something that you pursued since you're a little kid. That's yeah, really it's, cool, man.
1: Dude, it's so much, oh, it's so much fun too. And it's going from spending so much of my life where I'm just doing these, you know, it's like a, a hamster on a wheel, you know, doing these track <laughs> workouts for days and days and days and, yeah. and road runs where, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a lot different. I mean, there's, there's joy in moving fast. Like I miss, feeling just really, really sharp and yeah. fast, but you can move fast in the mountains too. And, I mean, you, yeah, it's just a, there's a very different things, but um, I'm, I'm the... happy, I'm happy how it worked out.
0: Cool. So fast forwarding in 2019, I mean, you had, you've had some awesome races going back, you know, at least a few years now. And I think like you're, you're slowly, Uh, starting to make like a really significant impact on the sport, but you're really intentional with the way that you race. So it's not like you come out and just like smash five races in five months and beat everybody. And so you're sort of like, I think really methodical in how you've been sort of executing your career to this point. And in 2019, that was well exhibited when you earned a golden ticket to Western States at the Canyons, 100 K and Canyons and Western States are only separated by about six weeks on the calendar. Canyons is in, I think, kind of like mid-May and Western States is in late June. Talk about um, earning that golden ticket because ultimately you were unable to accept it. It sounds like you you sort of came down with some kind of an injury. What happened there and, and how did that feel and how did you deal with it?
1: Yeah, man. So, um, I mean, I was having a great season of training and and if anything, I feel like I was a bit undertrained. So I had I was working with Jeff Browning um through that year and I kinda felt like I missed that that bond that you have with the coach and going so many years with, you know, like Coach Gary Town and Chico and in all the years before that call you know earlier college coaches to high school coaches to club coaches and just missing that, um, that companionship of of being able to just talk to someone about all that. And, um, I, I feel like he prepared me pretty well for, um, for having a perfect race on that day. And I did, and I knew of all the golden ticket races, that would be the one where I would have the best shot because, um, because, you know, climbing, you know, living where I do in the mountains, it's just like climbing is, is my thing mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and racing smart. And I knew that there was going to be guys who were really excited to get that, that ticket and, and probably hammer way too hard. And I knew to not go with them.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, uh, there's something that Browning said that's really stuck to me for, for that moment on that day to get the ticket. And it was, um, when we were talking a little bit about strategy and he's like, how many times have you heard or personally experienced it where you wish that you went out way harder that first half? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, (laughs) all right. I see what you're doing there. Um, I didn't lead until after forest Hill on the way back. And, you know, some of the guys had, you know, probably like two or three minutes on me and, And I was just so ready. i was so ready, and and because you you basically end
0: with a 17 mile climb back from the Rocky Chucky River crossing back to Forest Hill, (laughs) which for those who are unfamiliar is on the Western States course. But you go the opposite direction in Western Mm -hmm. States, where you basically are descending for yeah, 17 miles. So and what were happened with, rocking. uh, with the injury and, uh, yeah. and your subsequent need to pull out a Western states yeah. and how did that feel on sort of like an emotional level? I'm sure super disappointing.
1: Dude, it was, it was really rough, man. It was like, um, um, it was, I, it's hard to say exactly what caused it, but you know, it, it started with it band and I've, so besides, you know, it might sound like to the audience, like I've been injured all the time, but it's like yeah. besides this weird leg thing that I've learned how to work with, um, that I still race with and, and it's, you know, it, it's doable, but besides that, like I've never been injured. I've never had an injury that set me out for more than a few days, mm. um, at a time. So having this IT band injury where you know, I never experienced it before and it was in, it was at the worst time possible, you know, between, course, yeah. between canyons and Western, it was, um, it got to a point of where. Uh, and this is maybe this is a tip, typical sy- syndrome for it, but I mean, I literally couldn't, I couldn't, I forgot how to run, you mm-hmm. know, it was like this awkwardness. It wasn't even this excruciating pain, but it was like, every step was just, I was off. You know, hmm. I was like, um, I mean, it was awkward running shouldn't feel awkward. You know, it should feel like the most natural thing there is to, a, to a competitive runner. But, um, so that set me out for a little while. And then when I got, you know, that was probably a month and I went, to a physical therapist for the first time in my life, which I, I, mean, if I was to give like the biggest piece of advice to anyone listening right now, it's as soon as you think something's wrong and a few days has passed, go see a PT. Yeah. Like I, I listened to your, your episode, you know, with, with uh, your PT and that was yeah. just fantastic, dude. So much. It was such a gem of an episode. Thank you. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah. Dude just just so much good stuff. And like, uh, he helped me and finding a PT that truly cares about working with runners and has experience with runners. is a big part of it too. But, um, he helped me, you know, it's like a lot of people will just resort to stretching. And a lot of times that's the worst thing you could do to yourself. You know, you're like having lower leg pains and Achilles stuff, foot stuff, and you just want to stretch it out, but you could actually even be damaging yourself more. Mm. Um, but he, he prescribed a few strengthening exercises that really got me back into it. And I was like, I think, I might be able to race and then I made, uh, this is, you know, one of the times I've made an emotional decision instead of logical oh.
0: Oh. where I,
1: I try to get back into, I try to get back into it too fast, which caused a uh, bursitis in my heel. Yeah. Um, that really screwed me up. Um, so I actually was, I already bought a plane ticket to go and do TDS. And, um, you know, it's, it's great stuff that you don't see on someone's ultra sign up. You know, there's so much more It's yeah. like people love, love looking at the ultra sign up, but it just tells such a fraction of the story. Um, and I was, I didn't run 10 days before TDS and, you know, I shouldn't even have started to be honest, but I was like, I'm, I'm here with two of my best friends I'm just going to go and and see what happens. And I got healthy. Like the day, two days before I was like feeling good. I'm like, cool. Let's see how far I can make it. Um, did not, you know, was just like not in the fitness to do, um, this race. And they also, they changed the course too. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. Like 90 miles. And like, I mean, it pretty much takes as long. It's pretty much as hard as UTMB is from what I've heard. Mile for mile,
0: mile for mile, excuse me, mile for mile. It's harder than UTMB. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that was a heartbreaker, man, being injured like that. And, and I think, I think, you know, big picture here, I, I think it was that whole part of the year that kind of sculpted my year this year and like gave me that drive and extra, extra drive and discipline to just go for it this year. Not knowing, even though we were in a crazy time, you know, with COVID and um, and you know, for not many races going on, I was like, I don't even care, man. I'm just happy to run. And like, like you don't realize, you know, if, 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 you don't realize like how much it means to you until it's gone and Tell then me. you want it more when you can't have it. Right. I mean, it goes yeah. to say for, for so many things in life that you, know, you, you really want something that you can't have and, yeah. uh, and experiencing that for so many months last year, I was, I was ready to, to, to really like train hard, train smart and do something awesome this year.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's really cool. A couple of things that I think are worth sort of touching on is you mentioned earlier your relationship with your coach at Chico State, and you just mentioned your work with, with Jeff Browning. And I think it's such a cool thing of like having those coaches or those teachers in life where. Like with you, you mentioned with your coach at Chico State that you like really wanted to like make him proud and and like work hard for him. And I think that's really something that sticks with me is like all the coaches that I've ever had and all the like teachers who I look back at who I really liked. It was the people who like I felt obligated to perform well for and so like whenever you're sort of like looking for you know somebody to coach you or looking for some kind of guidance um you know you're looking for somebody who's going to invest energy in your outcome and who you feel this obligation to perform well for you know because that's going to help you to sort of invest in the work that it's going to take yourself and then you know on the on the subject of of PT. Yeah. I think, you know, that's also just an incredibly overlooked, you know, resource that runners maybe only utilize in moments of injury. And, you know, if you do stay on top of those small activities, it's something that does allow you to have a longer career and a, and a healthier career. And, and Matt Walsh, my PT and I are, collaborating on a, on a cool project right now. So just a a little teaser for the audience. There'll be some cool, cool content coming, uh, from him more that'll, I think help reinforce the importance of that. And, you know, now like to kind of transition to talk specifically about your training and the things that have contributed to your success. I mean, it's totally evident in talking to you that this like logic over emotion thing is really uh, a key contributor, I think, to to your success. And it seems like one of the things that you've mentioned that that really helps you in training is is simplification, which I think there's a little bit of a, you know, a straight line between logic and, and simplification, or at least, you know, in my brain, it, that seems to make sense. So talk a yeah. bit about your training. I mean, you're somebody who's been running since you're nine years old, it seems like, or even earlier. And it seems like you've probably gone through a few kind of life cycles of, of training, but I'm interested to hear about what you're doing for training now that you think has contributed to your most recent successes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind uh, would be, you know, not obsessing so much over just like hitting a certain number. And I know there's been a lot of talk about this, but I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're ultra runners. Like most of us are obsessive in, in one way or another. Right. And it's so easy to get hung up on that number. Um, but you know, kind of letting that go, you know, I've actually like challenged myself and, and, and when I post runs <laughs> on so like, I finish up a run. I mean, you know, I post on Straub and it's like 9.99 or something or like 9.991, whatever. But, um, but I mean, a big part of the training is, is just looking at big picture, like what are the few races that I want to do the best in, or what, you know, FKT or, um, objective do I have? And, um, like, I think you mentioned that before with like, Coop and like working back from that Mm -hmm. and and, you know, training for the race and specifically for the race. So, um, I choose to, um, specialize in, you know, I, I love just the hardest, hardest races. And, and I mean, that's somewhat, that's somewhat subjective, you know, we're just saying like, um, desert solstice, comparing it to like hard rock. Like how can you say one's harder than the other, yeah. but just the sheer time that you're spending on moving on a harder, you are know, like a, um, you know, a Tushers hundred K. I mean, there's not many hundred Ks that are going to take you that long. So there's more time that you're like in your head mm-hmm. and there's more specific work that needs to be put in before that. But as far as the training goes, like really simplifying it, as, as like, okay, if my race is going to have 17,000 feet of climbing and hundred K, then I need to be doing, you know, like, you know, say I'm around a hundred miles this week, I should be at least 20,000, 25,000 feet of climbing. So kind of breaking it down from the race, races, distance, avert gain through, you know, a higher week. Mm -hmm. Um, and then really simplifying the workouts too. And this is something I've done for a while that actually I heard in your Um, your interview with, uh, with coop is, um, you know, hill specific workouts and not like, they don't need to be super fancy, you know, just Mm -hmm. like spend, it's like an hour of power for ultra runners, you know, spend an hour at, you know, this 3000 foot climb, try and get to the top in an hour and, and push yourself at, you know, your aerobic threshold through that, um, that period of time and hurt, you know, another big part of the training is make yourself hurt at least twice a week, yourself hurt more than you're going to be hurting in the race, you know, get comfortable with that discomfort. And I think a lot of people like waiting, even, even runners, you know, at the elite level, they like waiting until race day to hurt, you yeah. know? And, and uh, man, I, I love, I love hurting in the workout in the, in the prep before the race. Cause mm-hmm. in that moment, I'm like, this is what it's going to feel like when I'm out there in the middle of, you know, you know, you know, thousands of feet of climbing at at the race. So, um, just getting more, uh, more in tune with how your body should feel, um, in, in a race scenario in the workout. So really narrowing it down to like, usually one of those, like, you know, at least once a week and then, um, a shorter kind of speedier workout where maybe I'll do 30 thirties, um, or one minute pickups, um, just in the middle of a run. Um, you know, plentiful, like strides, uh, post easy days and then, and definitely one, you know, big long run, you know, this none of this is like going to blow anyone's mind here, right. but, um, just being consistent. And then also, like, I think a lot of people don't quite understand how to do like a proper training block when they think mm-hmm. of a block. I think they're, they limit themselves to thinking of it. Like I'm like drawing this on the screen. So only you can see it, but no, it's just like, no, just like, you know, think of a square, you know, you think of a square and it's like, right. okay, I'm going to hit, I'm going to, I'm going to like hit my block. I'm going to do a hundred mile, hundred mile, hundred mile, hundred mile weeks, with this much of climbing. But I found at least for me, it works so much better. Where if I position my block around more of the bell curve, you mm-hmm. know, like building up a little bit, peaking at a, at, a, at your highest week, dropping back down a little bit. Mm-hmm. and And I think that allows you, to have some, you know, more plentiful quality, high intensity days. Um, because I've tried the whole like month long, hundred mile week
0: Mm -hmm. block with
1: a ton of climbing and you just, you lose a lot of that sharpness, you know, Mm -hmm. you lose that, um, that pop, I think after a while, and I think it will catch up to you. I think it can work well, maybe the first half of the season and then, I think there's a good chance that it's going to catch up to you mm. towards the end, towards the end there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, to put it simply again, like I, I like to present my, myself, you know, physically and mentally with harder situations than what the race is going to be like.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Do you have a coach currently? It sounds like you were working with Browning, but it sort of seemed like you were suggesting that, you know, you guys no longer work together. Are you, are you self-coached at this point?
1: yeah i am yeah i'm self-coached this year um so last year with browning i mean really it was it was about you know i think um i think he has like a lot of stuff on his plate i think he's he's a pretty like i mean he can handle it i could never handle what Browning can handle but you know just the sheer amount of athletes that he coaches you know his job his running career personal running career his family and i was i was like i don't know i think I, I probably, you know, I probably didn't see it through as long as I wanted, but no. I also feel like I know myself and my body well enough to where I don't know if I have four years to try and see if I can, um, you know, know if I work with this coach or not. Like mm-hmm. I kind of like, it's, um, I have enough experience to where I know I can coach myself, but yeah. it was like, it's so much different than the coaching I've had in the past in a sense of like how I told you, how I really like that, that really strong bond and connection you get with a coach and, mm-hmm. And it's hard to have in an email relationship. Um, And I think it was more of a personal thing for me where I'm not quite okay with that right now at this point in my life, where if I'm going to have a coach, I kind of want to have someone that I can talk to on a very regular basis. And maybe someone who has like, 10 athletes that are all training for a similar thing. Um, that's, it would be a draw for me at this point in my life, I think.
0: Right. And obviously like no disrespect to Jeff Browning, he's an absolute legend and we all, we all love and admire him and his career has been something that we all should aspire to. And, um, yeah, I, I think to your point, this is something that we'll see in the future is, almost like a lead only coaches or even potentially taking a model like a Bowerman track club and actually having like a group that, that lives and kind of trains together in a specific location. Um, Because I I think you're right. Like as the sport professionalizes, you know, I, I think, you know, that my relationship with my coaches is, is, Amazing, and uh, we only see each other a couple times a year. But I know I can always really pick up the phone, and if I need to get a hold of him, and he'll help me out. But you know, I, I think that that'll be an interesting sort of trend to watch for. You know, in the, in the future is you know coaching on the elite level, but um, yeah. you know, kind of we've already been going a while and I, I don't want to take up your whole night, but oh, no worries. You know, this has all been really super interesting and the training stuff we could go on for another hour about talk a little bit about the outdoor wilderness therapy that you talked about earlier, just a, yeah. a couple more questions and I'll let you go. I'm interested. No, no
1: worries, man. Yeah. I, um, so yeah, I, got, I had that psychology degree and I've, I worked a bit with kids and and just the whole, like the whole mind stuff fascinates me as far as, you know, the, um, um, the therapeutic side with, you know, these kids, but also even on the running side, it's, it's a huge part of, um, part of myself and my like, you know, future goals to working with people. Um, but this, uh, with the kids is in mammoth, I started guiding, like I mentioned, going up, you know, taking people on Whitney trips, John Muir trail trips, um, anywhere from like three to 20 plus days in the backcountry, And I wanted to find a way to integrate therapy, with kids, but also be getting paid to be outside, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like hiking and backpacking. And I literally one day just started Googling, like how, how can I get paid? Like, or like outdoor therapy jobs. Like uh, I, can't, I didn't even know this job existed. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't know what goes on when in the wilderness therapy world, but, um, yeah, dude, I moved to Bend, Oregon for a job, uh, as a wilderness therapy instructor. And I would spend uh, eight days on in the field in the winter, in the Deschutes National Forest, you know, negative temperatures, um, working with these kids who are struggling with uh, anxiety, depression, OCD, you know, autism spectrum, um, not so much on the aggressive side, but you know, like, like mostly like pretty lost kids. And um, a lot of these kids never even been camping before and they're thrown into the wilderness. Like, you know, if they've already dealt with trauma in their lives, like, wait a second, isn't this kind of traumatic too? Mm-hmm. But um, my job was to really, you know, like mentor them um, and, and uh, you know, help them be safe in, in the wilderness um, and being a positive role model. And, and yeah, we'd move camp every day. We'd take their boots at night so they wouldn't run away. Um it was an absolutely wild job that um I learned a lot from. And I learned um I learned that you can you can really have a, you can have a serious impact on people if yeah. um if you know if you gain their trust. And um and yeah, it's actually to kind of stem off that a little bit, you know, the whole um um that whole side of things like is influencing me to, you know, potentially be um a different kind of coach in the future. Mm. Um, like, you know, more along the lines of, you know, not, not a, not a coach where you're like, here, here's your plan. Here's your weekly plan. Here's how many miles you're doing. Here's what you're doing here, but more of, um, this is actually something that comes to mind that you talked with before. I don't remember who it was, but, um, you said like, you're, you're the person who is a much better racer than trainer. And there's also a lot of people who train, Amazingly, and can't put it together on race day. Yeah. And I, I really want to work with those people. Yeah. I want to find out. Like, I mean, most coaches don't have the time, you know, to do to do that, to spend that,
0: to do that, uh, that kind amount of, of energy, emotional work, and to yeah. solve that puzzle. Yeah,
1: right. and Maybe it's not you know like quite socially acceptable yet because it's like like I'm like paying for this coach. Like, I don't need to like. You know, a, a therapist coach, yeah. too. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be necessarily like a you know three, four, five year cooperation, collaboration yeah. type thing. It would be like let's figure out, let's like get down to the like the root of what's going on and preventing mm. you from figuring out like why can't you put it on race day? But it would be um, for those types of athletes looking for a, of a more um collaborative type of of coaching um that more much more we're like working together and, and figuring that stuff out because i know a lot of people deal with that and and i haven't officially like kicked this off yet and who knows when it will happen but i i love doing this type of work with my close friends here in town yeah. and figuring out like what's this barrier um that's that's preventing them from being the best athlete that they can be mm. so it's, it's wild stuff
0: yeah, I mean, it's, you know, sports psychology is not a brand new phenomenon, but it is something that is, you know, something that has become more serious during our lifetimes. And I think that unique model of being, potentially both a coach and somebody who can really help with that emotional side of things. It really is such a key contributor to our success and something that I really try and harp on. And basically every single podcast that I do is finding that balance and recognizing the impact that our internal environment has on our performance. I think that would be absolutely fascinating. I would love to invest right. in your business when you get it yeah.
1: up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, especially like real quick, like how I mentioned earlier about the bear and how I I realized that the first half of the race, it yeah. wasn't even, it wasn't even physical at all. It was like, like of course you have to be, physically fit to just make it that far to begin with. But you shouldn't be in that realm of of pushing your physical boundaries in the first half of your hundred. Like you're in trouble, you're in trouble if you are, you know, it's, it's so much psychological, you know, really for ultras, the longer amount of time you're out there, I think it's even more so.
0: Awesome. Jimmy, this has been so fun, man. I want to close with just a a basic easy question for you. And that is what your future goals are in an ideal world. If we get back to some semblance of normalcy, what would be your kind of dream race calendar for next year and what inspires you in the future?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, to have a dream race calendar, I think I would need, uh, some dream sponsor. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Um, I mean, I do have, you know, I've been super fortunate. I have the the support of rabbit, um, Mm. right now. And, and it's been really cool kind of, um, there's something like extra special about building, building your own career with a brand that's building their career. And I started with rabbit just, you know, after a couple of years of them, them starting. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, they, not only do they make rad stuff, but like, I can grow as a runner as they grow as a brand alongside them mm-hmm. instead of just like, fully already established. So very different experience than, um, you know, North face or something like that, but, um, which also sounds awesome, <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like to have a dream race calendar, I'd need, um, I would need a little bit more support to like, to, to travel, yeah. you know, cause like I'd love to do some more international races and, and, you know, I'd love to go back and get some redemption, uh, overseas, uh, you know, like UTMB. I mean, after how well the bear went, you know, I know UTMB is still a whole other level from that, but I mean, who's, whose dream calendar. Wouldn't that race be, yeah, on? Of course, yeah. be on? So that's a uh, kind of cliche, but, um, you know, that one. And then, I mean, there's some smaller races that I am really excited to do too. Like I, I love the hundred K distance. I love how, um, you can really, really battle it out. Like get yeah. that, like, you know, that grit uh, out of the way in a hundred K. So, you know, like a uh, Nick Clark puts on the never summer hundred K. So that's mm-hmm. one that I put off this year cause I didn't want to travel. Um, but I'll probably be doing that next year. And then there's also one in like Truckee area, which is holds a special place um to me uh, from living out there is uh the castle peak it looks just like the brutal really tough races there um and then i mean after what happened from canyons like i have to try to go to western you know it's just gonna get. and the longer i wait for that the harder it's going to be so um don't be surprised if you see me back on the line out at uh you know maybe canyons again
0: Cool. Well, Jimmy, it's, it's great to get to know you a little bit. And yeah, I think, uh, the thing that sticks out to me is just this idea of being logical more than being emotional and, and in ultra running, you know, if you can emphasize that, then It has a big impact, you know, in your performance and in your ability to enjoy the sport because it is something that doesn't come with a lot of moderation. And I appreciate you coming on and sort of exemplifying that spirit and and sharing what, uh, what you've learned in your short career. And I'll look forward to following along in the future.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks to Jimmy. I hope you guys really enjoyed that one. If you haven't already, I would definitely encourage you to throw Jimmy a follow on Instagram, send him a DM, let him know if you enjoyed the show. And yeah, as I always ask here in the outro, if you did enjoy, obviously, I would be very appreciative if you also leave us a rating or review, as we try and build this into something that you look forward to listening to. Obviously, we'd love to help bring the show to new listeners as well, as we try to make this a staple part of your podcast rotation. Thanks always for listening for the feedback, really am honored to have you guys here as we try to grow this show into something special. Thanks for those who've been loyal listeners. We've got more coming for you very soon. Okay. Love you. Bye.